Some topics in this podcast series deal with sensitive subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. The National Principles for Child Safe Organisations reflects 10 child safe standards recommended by the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. These principles aim to provide Australia with a nationally consistent approach to creating organisational cultures that foster child safety and well-being. They have a broader scope that goes beyond child sexual abuse to cover other forms of potential harm to children and young people. This podcast series, brought to you by ComplySpace and Brave Hearts, unpacks each of the 10 principles, their implications and ways to apply them. In this episode, we explore Principles 9 and 10. Implementation of the National Child Safe Principles is regularly reviewed and improved, and policies and procedures document how the organisation is safe for children and young people. Hi everyone, I'm Deborah Defina, Principal Consultant in Child Protection at ComplySpace. And I'm Matt Sinclair, the National Manager of Training at Bravehearts. You're listening to our podcast series about the national principles for child safe organisations. Today we're talking about principles 9 and 10, which is all about policies, procedures and regular review. And joining us, we have Hayley Holst from Pracademics. Welcome, Hayley. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Hayley, tell us about Pracademics and the work that you do. Yeah, sure. So, um... Pracademics is, uh, we're a not-for-profit organisation and we're all about bridging the gap between research and practice for those working in the human service sector. So uh, using our specialist uh, and expertise uh, across areas like child protection, youth justice and having worked in uh, both government and non-government capacity, helping those practitioners, frontline practitioners, as well as their managers and leaders uh, to have access to the latest evidence and research and apply it in practice and really understand what it means for them day to day in their work. And I guess a little bit about my background. Um, I've worked predominantly in child protection over the last 15 years and in youth services and youth programs and alongside uh, police and education. And over the last few years in particular have been working in this space, the child safe organisation space, uh, to help... uh, organisations um, in partnership with Bravehearts and Ernst & Young, um, like government departments as well as uh, recreational clubs and those in the early learning space uh, to review their policies and procedures and practice around this child safe, all these concepts and um, look at where they're at and, and what they need to do in terms of increasing their maturity. Excellent. So let's jump right in. Um, sure. Why exactly is it that organisations need written policies and procedures that explain their approach to child safety? That's one of the requirements of these principles. Mm -hmm. Why do we need to have them written down? Yeah. Yeah, it's really important to have something there that sets the expectations and establishes those guiding principles. And we use uh, the analogy of beach safety to help help organisations and people really understand what it means to have a culture of safety because... As, as you well know, having all the policies and procedures in the world, um, it is important, but they need to be more than just on the shelf. Um, so a culture of <laughs> having a culture of safety, uh, if we think about going to the beach, particularly in Australia, we're used to whether we go to the beach in Sydney or we're in North Queensland, 
if I said to you, let's let's go to the beach and take our kids, we step onto the beach, we know exactly what to look for to go into a safe space with our kids. We look for the flags. Those are on the beach. They indicate to us where it's safe to swim. Uh, we know that there's someone keeping an eye on us when we go into the water. And there's other tools and systems in place that we keep an eye out for. There's a sign telling us the, the conditions in the water. There might be a yellow flag to indicate that there's drift and we, can, we know to watch out for that. And all the while we are, we're looking back at the beach to check whether those flags are moving and that we're staying inside. So that's, you know, beach safety is, is safety that's done really well. It's something that's been uh, really embedded in everyone in the community as well as those whose job it is to do that day to day. So when you're having policies and procedures, those are like the flags at the beach. So that sets the expectations. It's like having your code of conduct. People know that that's the guiding point. No matter what organisation I go to work in as a teacher or as a youth worker, that I look to the code of conduct to tell me what's acceptable and unacceptable behaviour. Uh, there is someone keeping an eye on me when I'm in the water, when I'm working with children. So uh, the person who is responsible for safety and wellbeing, they might tell me from time to time that I need to get back inside the flags or my colleagues might remind me, hey, you're drifting a little bit. Mm. And that's normal. Mm. So that's, a, that's the culture. So I, I expect that we'll have those conversations if we've got that kind of culture happening. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I guess there's other points there when you've got those written um, policies and procedures. They do serve as barriers um, for people when they're applying for jobs in, in organisations. If they can see that all of this stuff is really explicit from the moment they enter the organisation or even think about applying to work with the organisation, uh, then they, those are barriers and they'll increase the likelihood of, of early detection and response if there were to be an issue in an organisation. Mm. And it's interesting because one of the other principles requires um, that when you're doing human resources um, management and um, job applications that you actually send people out mm. your code of conduct and your child safety yeah. policy to applicants so before they're mm. even in the door. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, it's great. And I think the other point too is if, you're, if you don't have something documented, we, the likelihood of something happening hopefully is low. Um, this is a small part of what um, a lot of a lot of organisations might be doing. But when things go wrong, you want to have a guiding set of principles to, to let you know what you need to be thinking about, what you need to do, rather than managing and responding to a crisis, as well as thinking about how to do it mm. properly. Mm. So if you've got something there that guides you, um, and even in your everyday decisions, those you know, schools do a particularly good job of this when they set rules with kids. You know, they have things like um, be safe, responsible, respectful, and that's what guides every decision that they make in the classroom for their children. So it's kind of applying that to all the adults as well. If you've got some really simple guiding uh, principles and expectations in your policies and procedures, that's going to help mm. guide you mm. when you have a crisis or when you're managing those tricky incidents. Mm. That also applies to the students of a school or young people within the organisation, making sure that those uh, expectations are, are really clear. So delivering a policy or implementing a policy that's accessible and readily understood by students mm. is also really mm. important. Mm. Mm. And that sort of moves us to our next question, which is you know, Principle 10 does require that um, child safety and wellbeing policies and procedures are available in 
easily understood and accessible language, does that mean that a school needs to have and publish multiple versions of their policies, you know, a, a child-friendly one for students and another one for parents and another one for staff and another one for volunteers and contractors mm. and all in different language? How do you manage version control? Mm, yeah, yeah, so it's a good question. But I, I guess I think if something doesn't make sense, why wouldn't the same policy work for teachers and parents? So we know generally for adults where, where you would pitch it for their reading level is probably the same across those people. But it's more about the tools that accompany that policy and procedure. Mm. That's when you're thinking about that that um, accessible language, mm. I think. So, you know, for children and young people, it's um, what do they need to know about the policies and procedures? Well, they probably don't need to know about the legislative requirements of mandatory reporting in a particular mm. area. Um, but they do need to know what acceptable behaviour is, um, what to do and how to get help and mm. what a likely response might be. Mm. So at the beach, they don't need to know how to administer CPR and what the protocol is for if someone's coming out to rescue them. But they know if they get in trouble from a very young age, you wave to mm. the lifeguard and they are there to keep you safe. So in a school or, or in another child and youth serving organisation, if there's, and you know, there's, there's some great practice examples out there in different contexts mm. of child-friendly language on posters, mm. but thinking about in, in your context, what do the young people or the parents need to know? Yeah, it's like the, the policy is the core document and then what sits mm. around that is a communication strategy yeah. which is then yeah. linked to the cultural initiatives of the organisation as mm. to how do we get mm. that message out. So yeah. the same document communicated differently yeah. depending yeah. on who the audience is. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah. Um, what do you think regular... So regular review and continuous improvement mm. is, is a big part of the ongoing management of a, of a policy framework, um, what exactly needs to be regularly reviewed and, and what are we evaluating? Yeah. So I think um, for me this is about um, more than having just certain points, uh, points in time where we'll review and look at, look at how things are going. You need to have those and I guess, you know, that's the difference between uh, dynamic and static review. Um, but I think, I, and I heard um, some great advice recently on a um, presentation by Robert Fitzgerald who was saying if there was one piece of advice he could give organisations, it was normalise the conversation. Mm -hmm. So normalising the conversation about child safety and wellbeing. And that will lead to review and continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. So it's more than... Uh, tacking it on to other things that you have to do. So having a um, review and improvement point every mm. year or every couple of months, that's an additional task that everybody has to do in, 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 on top of all of their demand, you know, the demands mm. of their day-to-day -day role. But, if, but building that in to existing systems. So if you already have uh, people getting together, um, you know, regular staff meetings or um, professional development, Having standing points in those agenda to talk about elements of your policy and procedure mm. and and more than, did we have any issues this month? No, tick, we covered that one off. Mm. Yeah. So having purposeful conversation about that. So uh, someone, again, it highlights the, the importance for someone to be in a role that is across this stuff um, or has access to the material they need 
but that they can add into that agenda. All right, this time, this this month or this quarter, we're going to talk about, um, you know, the policy around transporting children. You know, mm. what are the tricky things that are coming up mm. in our context? And, you know, things like, um, you know, quite often um, in schools we hear things about uh, music rooms and drama mm. rooms. Um, those are the ones that are tucked away and don't have visibility, often have third-party contractors. So they just are the ones that sit a little bit outside of a black and white policy. So let's let's talk about that in our review yeah. and step through an example with your policy and see if it works. Yeah. And if it doesn't, that gives you your that's the starting point for improving it and making yeah. changes. But it is, I think, uh, important for that to be purposeful. So someone needs to be thinking about uh, facilitating those discussions with the staff, with your people around how is this working in practice mm. more than does it work? Yes, no, okay, mm. let's move on. So what you're talking about there is reviewing sort of in conjunction the written policies and the implementation, the practice of how that policy is working. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And that's that's what's important. That's what makes it more than the document on the shelf, right, the policy mm. that just sits there is does this actually work for you day to day? Mm. Um, and, you you know, when you have those um, regular reviews, you'll, um, you know, we talk a little bit about monitoring the trends, but you'll have, you know, any organisation is going to have examples of things coming up. Mm. Use those then for a group to workshop. Did it, did it work with the policy um, and procedure and what could have been different, what could mm. have been better? Yeah, I agree because we can often fall into or slip into a practice where it's in case of emergency, break glass, blow dust off the policy manual and where do I start? Mm, yeah. And where mm. if it's part of regular open conversation, it brings that policy to life, it enhances a culture around being proactive around safety. Mm, yeah, it's yeah. a really good point. You mentioned that there should be someone who sort of needs to have that overarching um, responsibility for ensuring that these discussions are happening and in, in everyday conversations and mm. in meetings mm. and in regular, like, formalised reviews. Mm. Um, it goes back to that principle one, which is about having mm. that child safety champion, yeah. having people in your organisation who are designated as child safety champions and that's their job mm. as part of it. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And, and, yeah, you're 100% right that that's their... I think that's the critical bit that sometimes gets forgotten, that it, that's their job. Um, mm. So, again, if you think about being at the beach, the lifeguard um, is there to monitor safety. Mm. Um, they don't have and, – and they have a team. So there's someone who goes out and moves the flags and there's someone who is monitoring. Uh, if someone's in the water, someone else is up at the tower. Mm. Often in a child and youth serving organ organization no matter the context this is this might be tacked on to someone's role so what are the things getting in the way of that visibility mm. um if they're you know if they're not at the school for example 70 mm. percent of the time it's going to be really hard to be monitoring and for them to be accessible when people mm. need to, to ask for help mm. so when you do have these roles and have these champions you've got mm. to think about what's getting in the way of them being able to do it effectively mm. um yeah mm. Another organisation has said to us at some point that they, they didn't think they needed to have child safety champions because everybody should be a child safety champion. Yeah, yeah. How do we deal with that? Yeah, and I think that's really common. And, and the closer you get to organisations or organisations that work quite closely with 
um, even in a child protection mm. context, tend to think, well, we all do that. Mm. We're all here to keep kids mm. safe. So we've, we've got this one covered. So that, I, again, I think it's uh, having those conversations Then you have to have someone who um, is there, though, to challenge some of the um, challenge people's thinking, challenge whatever might be the underlying assumptions and beliefs. Um, well, we're here, we're here to keep kids safe, so therefore they are safe. Mm. Um, well, what about this example? And, mm. and there's, there's places you can go um, to do that. You know, the, the Royal Commission still has the narratives and stories mm. available on their website that if you don't have your own examples in your organisation, mm. you can access them somewhere like that mm. um, to get people really thinking about, well, I know you feel like it couldn't happen here, but... In another child protection organisation, this happened. Could that happen here? Mm. And what if not, why not? Mm. What would we do? And then if you're using that as part of your sort of review and improvement process, mm. you can look at that and say, if that happened here yeah. and we applied this policy, how would that play out? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody, there needs to be a single point or a single source of truth and somebody that keeps across mm. Absolutely. You know, incoming or changes to legislation or someone that really sort of drives that, but mm. certainly not completely mm. responsible and absolving everybody else. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, one of the other requirements of Principle 9, and that's all part of the continuous improvement um, framework, is uh, analysis of complaints and concerns and incidents. Um, what kinds of trends or themes should we be keeping an eye out for when we're looking at, at, at that? Mm -hmm. I get, you know, obviously this is going to be... Um, dependent on the context of, of the organisation, what those trends might be. But I guess what, what we have seen in the past is that while you might have, uh, you might consider complaints, concerns and incidents separately. So everybody mm. has a great complaints management process and some that goes to the complaints department. Mm. And then uh, if there were HR issues, um, that sits with HR. Mm. And then you know, I was quite surprised to learn that then often critical incidents was a different department, but that's really common across mm. a lot of organisations, but they aren't talking to each other. But you can imagine how easy it is for um, a staff member to, you know, other colleagues will point mm. out, and all, there's so many case examples from the Royal Commission that everyone made a complaint about this person. They also were involved in a lot of incidents mm. um, and... There were other complaints coming in from mm. other other mm. parties, so you can see the need for that to all be kind of cross-examined and think about that collectively. Mm. So it's looking for trends in um, and patterns, I guess, in in a variety of things, and it's looking at the people involved. Um, you know, even cohorts. I think in a mm. school. So if you're having issues pop up in a particular cohort, for example. And someone who can think about, uh, you know, two years ago we had an issue with the grade nine, there was that grade nine kid, mm. and now it's the grade 11s, you know, like that's really obvious. It's the mm. same cohort, but you've got to have, some, you, you know, again, we're probably not surprised that mm. sometimes that doesn't pop into people's mm. thinking yeah. that, um, oh, these are the same kids having mm. the issues. And actually it was... Um, all of the kids that were involved in that, um, you know, football team mm. or, or, mm. or so on. So looking at what are the common things mm. happening around those, around your incidents and, yeah, getting, that's, again, 
like you said, Matt, it can't fall with one person. There, have, there has to be a team of people who can look at things with a critical eye to, um, to think about what are we missing here. So there's no easy answers. There's no, um, there's no black and white about what to yeah. look for, but it is thinking about your context um, and all of the other parts in your organisation that might be impacting on safety and well-being. Yeah. And so, you know, I think of a sporting organisation because not to keep picking on schools, but, you know, if you have a um, sporting club who, uh, you know, and, and if quite a few, are, in my experience, are doing that these days, they're moving to then being feeder clubs, they're professionalising yes. uh, their teams, you know, right from their very young players, you know, six-year-old kids um, through to you know, elite sporting clubs, be that soccer, footy, whatever it may be. Um, that's a huge shift in culture. How does that impact on the safety and well-being aspect for kids? So, okay, we're introducing that or we introduced that two years ago and now all of a sudden we're having things happen mm. with kids mm. this you know that's the kind of thing you need to be thinking mm. about what are the other factors going on in our community that that might be impacting on safety and well-being mm. uh, and, and you know other more simple things like um, you know even natural disasters you know we know um, children are more vulnerable if so if your school or your community is affected by a natural disaster thinking about um what, how is that going to impact that? You know, that's a point of potential review of your mm. are our policies adequate for what what's happening to us right now? Mm. But also, what does this mean for this group of people? Mm. What are the additional risks? Yeah, and I think like all of that is such a breadth of consideration across mm. an organisation, yeah. <laughs> and and you, know, you think, okay, so I go straight to okay, so who's going to do that? Mm. And I think perhaps it's more around a multidisciplinary yeah. certainly mm. a cross-sexual representation in a sm small committee yeah. doesn't need to be a huge council of opinion but people that can bring perspectives from the different reaches and we often talk to independent schools who you know proudly offer so many different services to the students there's music and performing arts mm. there's mm. cadets there's um, sport there's before and after school care providers coming in all of that kind of thing so there's so many different risk profiles they go with that boarding is a, mm. is a classic. Mm. So when you think about trends and themes, bringing people together that represent that so that yeah. policy design is yes. really coming from mm. the ground up almost yeah. or certainly heavily consulted and, and the evaluation includes that voice as well. Yeah. Mm. So we've been talking a lot about sort of involving within an organisation all different facets of the organisation in the reviews. What about other stakeholders? What about students and parents and the relevant communities, mm. say maybe your school has a large community of Vietnamese students involving that community. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and it's, it's tough and I think we can't have this conversation without acknowledging that it's hard enough for most organisations, whether you're a school or the sporting club or whatever you might be, to involve your communities and to, to get people along to, you know, the PNC meeting or mm. join committees um, when you're talking about you know, positive endeavours, it's hard enough to get people involved and engaged. So, um, again, I think that that is something that if we're all on a bit of a learning journey in that space, but I think it's important for, we know we know it's 
incredibly valuable and how important it is. So it's about being creative with those communities and not and looking at it more than an education piece and um, in general terms. So trying to, for example, get your uh, parents in by saying we're going to be talking about our child safety policy or we're trying mm. to be a child safe organisation. A lot of people would think, well, that's not really relevant to me. Mm. But if you can engage them around um, we've got in the dance program, we want to talk about mm. some... Um, we want to help to get you involved to help us problem solve mm. an issue around the dance yeah. academy mm. or performing arts academy or the soccer team or mm. and that's a way to bring people in around a specific issue and really particularly as a starting point to get people to feel like they're being heard so if they can contribute and then people have a positive experience mm. then that's going to filter out to other members of this that community that you know we were invited in we went and there might have only been two of us that went mm. along to that but we felt heard and so next time people are asked they will be mm. more more likely to go along um I think as well that, uh, you know, they need to be thinking about, you know, the, the theory of diffusion, that how well are they um, mobilising the people that are that will be able to influence change? So those influential people in the community, there's, there's, they're everywhere, you know, there's always a few um, at any particular organisation that um, will have, you know, the loudest voice and they might be... Um, they're particularly interested, but other parents and families and the community knows that they're the people you go to if you want information. Mm. So how are you, you mobilising those people to spread the message? Mm. And, um, you know, that there's lots of ways that you could try and do that by, um, you know, educating those people, explain, and again it highlights having someone who knows how to articulate all this stuff to them and so then they can use that position of influence to talk to other people in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and your point as well about, you know, um, how engaging, you know, in, in a culturally and linguistically diverse group, it is really important to do that um, in, a, in a sensitive way. And, and, you know, we obviously can't sit here and say how that's going to work in each mm-hmm. different community um, but being mindful that sometimes just getting everyone in a room is not enough. You might need to speak to people individually mm. and ask them how they think a consultative mm. process would work best mm. um, or just getting their feedback one-to-one and making sure it's incorporated into it, everything yeah. else. Asking them how they would want to be involved yeah. rather than setting a, this is how you will be involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 This is how we will engage you. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, we sort of need to shift that our thinking around that and you know I can certainly say in in that I think we're all guilty of it that you know we ask no Mm. one turns up people do want to be asked Mm. um, they do want to give feedback Mm. but exactly what you just said you know I know I don't want to turn up to a room full of 30 Mm. people and I'm probably not going to feel like my voice is heard and I'm far less likely to speak up Um, but if someone approached me individually um, if they, if it was via text or email, you know, people mm. might feel a little bit safer that way. But people do want to give the feedback. They do want to be asked. Yeah. Mm. But you need to think creatively about how you're doing that. Great. Yeah. 
I think we had a few more questions, but I think we've actually covered them all. Yeah. In our discussions, we've got to most of the things we wanted to talk about. Is there anything else you'd like to say, sort of a bit of a wrap-up or to talk about review and improvement and policies and procedures? Yeah, uh, I think we've certainly covered a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, again, just going back to um, having those proactive conversations with people and that that normalizing the conversation mm. I, I, that really resonated with me that mm. it is um, across all the different organizations about trying to understand what the challenge is for you in your day-to-day practice around this stuff mm. and getting people used to talking about it and there's there's a lot of um, you know communities of practice out there that you can do that people can utilize as individuals or as organisations, but it's about trying to find um, and work with where you're at in terms of your maturity. So what, what's going to work for us right now? What what do we need? And being realistic about that. Yes. You know, there's no one-size-fits-all mm. approach mm. to to that kind of thing. Um, you can't, you can't, it is, a, it's a journey and it's bringing people along at the right time. Mm. And it requires, going back to principle one, a good deal of leadership. Mm. It requires your child safe champions and it requires a change in culture. So mm. training and, and and information being given out as well. So it's a, it's a good wrap-up of all of the principles, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, mm. yeah, we, you think about scrambling the jets when it comes time to re-register as a school mm. and next minute we've got a pile 10 foot high of policies we need to work through as opposed to s- switching that dynamic and thinking how do we review them over time yeah. and mm. bring yeah. it as part of our mm. ongoing quality practice yeah mm. well Haley, thank you very much for joining us today. thanks Haley. thanks for having me Give you those